Actually, I want to I want to invite Steve and Barbara, my parents, up here, if they would come on up. Um, many of you guys know my parents, and maybe some of you don't. Um, so for you guys that don't know my folks, 20, 27 years ago now, um, our family moved here from Portland, Oregon, and um, to take over, uh, my, my parents were the pastors of the church here, and they, they took over the pieces of a church that was kind of in the process of failing, and, and uh, just through the grace of God and, and uh, through my, my parents just being faithful to the call, they, they kind of put the pieces together, and then um, through time, the church started kind of growing and building, and, and so what you're in today is because... Um, these guys uh, faithfully served and the call of God on their life here in Albuquerque for 25 years. They were the pastor of City Church, and um, and so it's uh, it's it's kind of bittersweet that they're moving. I know my grandmother needs some help, so it's good. You know, it's like uh, you're doing the, you're making the right decision, but it's still hard. You know, but um, but anyhow, I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to talk to the church and and uh, to say anything if you wanted to say anything. big S on our, on our chest, you know, we're, we were coming with like Superman and Superwoman coming to save the day and do all this good stuff, and it wasn't long before God can, uh, made it pretty clear that this church didn't need us, we needed it, <laughs> and so um, I wanted to just thank you for allowing us to pastor you and, and do life with you for 26 years. It's, um, it's been a privilege. And we wouldn't be who we are today if it weren't for you. And because of this church, because of serving here and all that we've, all the, uh, the 25, 26 years, whatever, it has allowed us to go into the next chapter of our lives. Um, what many of you may not know is we're going to be working with um, Ministers Fellowship International, and that's our ministerial uh, association, and we're stepping into a role of beginning to pastor pastors. And if it hadn't been for you, that wouldn't be. So I wanted to thank you for all that you have imparted into us. We wouldn't be who we are if it hadn't been for you. And um, just so you know, uh, we will be back. We have anchor grandbabies here. There's no way we're not coming back here. So <laughs> anyway, we'll be seeing you again. And um, and we just, well, you will always be in our hearts. We love you. You will always be a part of us, and we thank you so much. I wanted to leave you with one, one little thing. When I look back at all that God has done, I am convinced more than ever that he is perfect in all his ways. He does all things well. He doesn't miss a lick. He crosses every T, he dots every I, and he has you in the palm of his hand. And you may not know what the end of the story looks like. We certainly did not when we came here, but know that it's a good ending. And God has good things in store for you as an individual and for you as a church. Your, good, your best days are ahead of you, like my husband says. And God is doing a great thing in Albuquerque through this man and his, through his wife and through you. And it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait to come back and see all that God has done and will continue to do. God bless you. We love you. We always will, and so will he. Amen. Just, um, I, I can't say much, but thank you.
Thank God for all of you. You know, Paul said that we're living epistles known and read of all men. That means that God writes his word on our hearts. Well, you are our epistle. And your stories and your lives are written on the walls of our hearts. And we just thank you that we've had the privilege of doing what we've done for the last 25 plus years. And, um, you know, when I was a new Christian, I got radically saved. And I led my parents to Jesus. My dad was a sick man. He'd had open heart surgery when he was 45, and he had just struggled in life. And, um, I was home one summer from college, and my pastor asked me to speak. I was kind of shocked that he did, but he did. So I, I preached a sermon in the church that I attended when I first got saved. And um, when I did, the presence of God kind of fell into place. And my father was there. And he said this. He said, if I never live another day, my life is full. And as a father, I am so privileged for the church. But Barbara and I are privileged to watch our children stand on our ceiling and watch it be their platform to go further and longer. And we just have that great privilege. And as a dad, I couldn't be prouder of you guys and prouder of the elders of the church and prouder of our son and Amber for the great job that they're doing. And we know that what we've done is going forward because we have a great God. And so just thank you so much for allowing us just this time here this morning. Thank you. There was one more thing I wanted to say, and it tags on to what Jeff was saying. You know, when our, our senior pastor, Dick Iverson, died um, a, few, a couple of months ago, I just was thinking about his life and how he represented God well. And that's, that's my prayer now. God, that I would represent you well wherever I go. And that's my prayer for City Church, that you would represent God well in Albuquerque. Amen? Amen. Will you guys um, extend your hands towards them? We're going we're gonna to pray for them. And, and so, um, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the, the faithful service that, that, um, that these two have, have given and really sacrificed their life here in Albuquerque. God, I pray that their best days are ahead of them. The best is yet to come. And, and God, I just, I just declare that, that your purposes are going to be fulfilled through them, uh, not just in Albuquerque, but, but through the rest of the country, maybe even the world. So God, I ask that you would open doors that no man can open. God, I ask that you would give them heavenly resources to get your work done here on earth, everywhere that they go. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now I gotta preach. Oh, I should have done that at the end. Okay, okay. <laughs> you know, be before I start my sermon, um, I actually want to talk to you about Convoy of Hope for a minute. 
Now, I know we talked about this last week. Um, and so for those of you that were here last week and you heard this, uh, you might be like, oh, come on again. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're talking about this again. Uh, you know, we, we, liked, we said this year is going to be our year where we say we're for Albuquerque. And so we, we did the whole hashtag for ABQ. We talked about how we need to be a church that's on mission, making a difference in our city. And, uh, and so we thought, man, wouldn't it be great if we could get behind a project here in Albuquerque this year that as a church we could get behind one giant project. You know, we'd love to get behind multiples, but if we could just find one, that would be amazing. And so God opened the door for this convoy of hope thing that we're doing. And so it's not just a project. It's like the biggest projects of all projects to be done in Albuquerque because we're giving away $1 million worth of goods and services into the needy community inside of our city, all in the name of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? That is really incredible. And so a few years ago, a few years ago, a few months ago, uh, we, we actually were raising money for it, and, and collectively as a church, we were able to give $7,000 towards the project, uh, which, is, which is a big chunk. Um, it was, it was a, a big helpful thing. Most of the uh, stuff is donated, the resources and the, and, the, and the time and the materials and everything is donated. There were some things we had to buy. And so um, the overall budget was about $100,000, and, and so uh, although we had some donations to help bring that down, but then with money coming in from all these different churches, we were, were able to get everything done that needed to get done um, leading up to the event. And so I want to thank you for your generosity, but here's the next thing we're going to do is on June 23rd is the actual event. And so we need volunteers. We need about 1,400 volunteers to be able to make this event go off smoothly. And so here's what I need from you. There's going to be 1,400 volunteers that are signing up, God willing. And, and I, would like a large, I would like a large number from City Church to be volunteering and signing up. So you can find that information on our website, um, in our email thing that goes out every week or two. There's a, there's a link there. If you go to convoyofhope.org and, and you go to the Albuquerque, um, all these things take you to the same form. But there's a little sign up online and you sign up online. And here's the thing is on Friday night, the 22nd, there's a volunteer rally. And that's where you get assigned into what area you want to go to. When you sign up, they'll send you information, a breakdown of what the different areas are that you can serve. And so you can get all the information, think about it, pray about it, kind of figure out what do I want to do to help out on feet on the ground. But then on Friday night is where you actually get to jump in on the cruise. They train you on exactly what you're going to do. And then Saturday we go out and, act and do it. And so here's what I would recommend. Because there's so many people signing up and going as volunteers, find a friend or two, sign up together, maybe carpool down together, uh, because the odds of all of us finding each other um, in this mess of people will be very difficult. So find a friend or two, sign up, volunteer, go down, um, and then we're going to go, and that Saturday is going to be just a giant serve day where we're serving all the poor and needy in our community. How many of you guys are excited about this? I'm excited about this. And all of this is is in the name of Jesus, and we're saying because Jesus loves you, um, because Jesus has been generous with us and and loves us, we are now going to love and be generous with you. And so it's all done in the name of Jesus to share the love of Jesus with those in our city, with those in our city. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Matt Williams. And uh, I'm the lead pastor here. My wife and I are the pastors of the church. And uh, if you're visiting with us, I'm so glad that you're here. Even if you're not visiting, I'm still glad that you're here. 
That's right. All of you are. I'm very glad to see all of you. But if you're visiting, um, I just want you to know afterwards, um, I'll actually be in the lobby. You can meet me if you'd like to. We can shake hands and stuff like that. But we also know this is that most people will actually watch a sermon or two online before they come and visit. So I want to say hi to all you guys watching online. And uh, you're always welcome to come and join us. And we would love to have you come and be here and see all that God is doing in our midst. I want to get started this morning by, by talking to you about things that get lost. Have you ever lost something? You, you, you've lost something. You ever lost car keys? That's the worst feeling in the world, especially the new ones with the chips in them because they are not cheap. It's not like, you, you know, back in the day where you could take the metal key and they like do the grinder thing on it and then it's like five bucks and you have a key. Oh no, my friends, that game has changed. They have capitalized on the key market. There are now computer chips inside of keys and proximity sensors and it is not a $5 uh, key anymore. It is a multiple hundreds of dollar key. Uh, Boy, I tell you, the good old days, right? You've lost your keys before. You've lost your remote control before. That's the worst, right? You have to get up, walk across the room, and change the channel like an animal. It is, (laughs) I can't handle it, right? So you lose the remote control. But guess what? Somebody lost a cruise ship one time, like like the entire cruise ship. Now, it wasn't the big ones we have today. It was only about a 150-person cruise ship. But it still, it was a cruise ship, and it got lost. It was about 300 feet long. And so in the rush, in, in 1976, the Russians built a cruise ship, and it was designed to go into the Arctic and Antarctic regions of the, country, of the globe. So it had um, a, uh, the hull on it. It was designed to be somewhat of an ice-breaking type hull so it could handle the ice. And, uh, and they would go on these excursions back and forth. And, and so somehow in the, in the mid-2000s, early 2000s, um, they, there was a bit of a dispute on who was going to pay what bills. And, and anyhow, the boat ended up taking on a lot of debt, and the, or the operation of the boat took on a lot of debt. And then one thing led to another, and in 2010, it got repossessed. And so it was parked at a port in Canada, in Newfoundland, Canada, and, uh, and it was there for almost two years. And, and at the end of two years, the person who bought the boat says, all right, I'm just going to sell it for scrap. So he hired a tugboat to, to tie onto this thing and tow it down to the scrapyards in the Dominican Republic to have it stripped down for scrap metal and recycle the parts and do all that. And they said it's worth more in pieces than it is as a whole. And so they hook up the tugboat. They start to head down um, the eastern seaboard area of the United States, coming down towards the Dominican Republic. Well, they hook it up. They start heading down the road or the water and, uh, and the, the tow line breaks. And so the tugboat tries a few times to like recapture the boat um, and they can't get it lassoed. So it's like a water rodeo in slow motion or something. So they're trying really hard to get, they can't get it lassoed. There's nobody on the boat. In fact, the boat was infested with rats, so nobody wanted to be on this boat. So it's a rat-infested boat. Somebody put it together and said, well, at some point they're going to eat all the food. So now they're going to be cannibal rats, right? So it's now infested with cannibal rats. And then the, you know, the legends grew that they were now man-eating cannibal rats. And, and there was all this folklore around the, the condition of the, uh, yeah, the rats on the boat. But they, so they tow it down. They lose it. They try to lasso. They can't. The government gets involved. Canada says, I, we can't have this 300-foot boat floating around in the ocean. There's all these oil-drilling plat- drilling platforms. And it's a, it's a safety issue. And so they go out with their boats from the government. And so they lasso the whole thing up. And they haul it further out into international waters away from all of the oil drilling to say, okay, this is safety first. We get it out there. And they say, well, now what are we going to do with it? And they're like, I don't know. So they unlasso it and they go home. 
and they leave it out there in the water. And they tell the owner of the boat, well, we left it over here in this area of the ocean. It's up to you to find it and deal with it. Our job was just simply, it's one of those like, it's not my job scenarios, you know? It's not, so they, they pull, you know, my job is to protect it the safety of this, so they we're going to drag it and leave it. So they, they go out looking for it. They can't find it anywhere. They lose a cruise ship in the Atlantic Ocean. They can't find it anywhere. And so anyhow, it's old. It's beat down. It's covered with rats. It's got issues. There's no power on it. There's no GPS on it. Everything is shut down. There's no way to track it at all. There's no like beacon or anything like that. And so they, they, they say, well, we, we don't know where this boat is. We lost a boat. And so they say, well, eventually it'll just sink, won't it? Like, it'll just eventually sink. And so they forget about the boat, and it's gone. Until one day, off the coast of Ireland, they're like, what is that? It's a boat. There's no transponder. What is it? Oh, it's the ghost ship with the cannibal man-eating rats on it coming our way. The rats are coming to Ireland with a vengeance. The people are freaking out. News, everybody's talking about it. And so they, they, they're really worried. They're going to go lasso the boat again and drag it. Where are we going to do with this thing? It's like everybody else's problem. And then all of a sudden, it just disappears off the, the coast of Ireland, and they can't find it anywhere. Now it's been gone for almost a year. And they it's called the ghost ship because, and so they said, well, it must have sunk. But they said that last time too. So there is a boat that somebody has lost. It is 300 feet long. It is full of man-eating cannibal rats that are just ah, vicious, drooling. You know, you can, this sounds like a movie. They did snakes on a plane. They can do rats on a boat. I'm just, they can do rats on a boat. Sounds like a B movie already. Yep, it's in the making. It's going to happen. That boat just drifted all the way across the ocean. Isn't that crazy? All the way across. It started on one side and drifted all the way over to there. They didn't think it would drift all the way. They thought it would sink somewhere along the way. Have you ever been in a boat and seen it drifting? Have you ever been on a boat where you're fishing and you shut off the motor because you don't want to scare the fish away? And so you're sitting nice and quietly. Well, you have to position the boat the right way because there's some currents in the lake or the stream and, and you've got to be able to manage this thing. In fact, if you don't put power to where you want to go, whether through oars or through a motor, the body of water you're in will take you a certain direction. In fact, it's also true with driving a car. Have you noticed that if you let go of the steering wheel, it doesn't take too long, maybe if your alignment is out, it goes even quicker, but you start to drift to one side or the other. Now that the new cars are f fantastic, you know, they, they like can sense the stripes in the road somehow, and then they like vibrate the handle, and then now some of the new ones even like try to correct you a little with it, and then there's some that are self-driving. Does anybody have a car that does some of those things, like the newer ones? That Anybody have a car that does the, the thing? You have one of those? And, and, and yeah, it's amazing. I test drove one of those things, and it was awesome. I'm driving down the road, and, and I, I let go, and it's like starts it, and then it just corrected itself. And I was like, this is amazing. I can't believe cars do this now. Of course, in the news yesterday, I guess Tesla on autopilot um, also drifted into oncoming traffic, and it ended poorly for everyone. But, uh, it was, but drifting is a dangerous thing, right? In the beginning, the, 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 the drift doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. And in fact, you catch the rumble strip on the side of the road a little bit when you're driving down the freeway, a little and you go, oh, yep, pull back a little bit, and it's not that big of a deal. But if you drift too far, it can mean destruction. If you drift too far, it can mean destruction. Have you ever noticed that your spiritual life can drift as well? Have you ever noticed that your walk with the Lord, if you're not intentional about it, can start to drift a little bit? 
it, it's, it's interesting how that happens. I mean, you don't drift upstream. You always drift downstream when you're in the water. And when, and when you're drifting in your car, it's never perfectly down the center lane of traffic. It's always off to one side or the other. You have to row against the stream in your boat. You have to take control of the steering wheel in your car and make sure that you are pushing the right pedals and right buttons to make sure you are going the right direction. Your faith is no different. You have to row and steer and pedal, and your faith requires some, some guidance on your part to make sure that we don't drift off. You have to row your faith. i got to tell you, I've never drifted anywhere amazing in life. My drifting has always led me to mediocrity at best. You got to watch for the currents. And, and if you're out on the beach, you got to watch for the undercurrent. There's a current on the top going one way, and there's a current on the bottom going the other way. And if you get caught just right, that thing will suck you underneath. And then, yeah, it's a, I've never done it, but I've seen it on TV and YouTube, so it must be true. If you're not careful, you see, if you're not careful in your faith, Sometimes you think that, that everything is flowing the right way, but there's an undercurrent of temptation that's pulling you the opposite direction. Sometimes the unseen undercurrent of temptation can get you when you're least expecting it. So you have to stay vigilant. You have to stay focused. Your faith can't just be left to what happens. It can't be left to just how the winds are going to blow you or how the, the waves are going to toss you. Your faith has to be something that you take control of and say, I'm going to own it and I'm going to walk with this thing. You know, drifting is not sudden. It's subtle. Drifting is not sudden. It's actually subtle. In fact, our, our own culture here has subtly shifted inside of the United States. The culture of our country has shifted subtly over the last 50 to 60 years. And it feels like recently it's been getting a little bit faster in its cultural shifts. Have you guys, yeah, I see Ned, heads nodding all over the place. It's like all of a sudden things are moving a little bit quicker and a little bit quicker. You know, our country was built on the concept of self-sacrifice. It was built on this concept of self-sacrifice. And, and you've seen it, and I've seen it, and, and you've been, if you've been alive long enough, you've experienced it to where you understand that in World War II and, and in Vietnam, and, and there was a, an attitude of, uh, and during those war seasons that we had, there was a self-sacrificing mentality, like we're going to make sacrifices personally so that collectively we can win the war, so that collectively we can overcome something. But we've had this cultural shift, and we've somehow drifted from this idea of self-sacrifice to self-indulgence. And, and it's all about me, and so now everybody out there is here to serve me rather than I'm here to serve everyone out there. In fact, in Christianity, and in biblical Christianity, the model that Jesus set for us is that, that we are to be ones who serve others, not that others are there to serve us. And so now, as believers and followers of Christ, we are countercultural in so many different areas because we understand as believers, and if you're not a believer in Christ today, if you're not a follower of Christ and you're here with us, you're welcome to be here. In fact, I'm really glad that you're here this morning. You get to kind of hear what we're about and what we're doing and, and what it means to be a Christian. And so I just want to welcome you and be glad, let you know that I'm glad that you're here and it's a safe place for you. But our culture has shifted. You see it in, even in advertising and in schooling. Remember advertisements? They used to be about how the product served you. And now the advertising is about a promise that it's going to give you. It's going to make you wealthier. It's going to make you more attractive. Or, you know, like, how, how is it that a scantily clad woman is now selling something 
you know, like a granola bar. You're like, this doesn't make sense. You know, this doesn't, like they're trying to sell something with something and some sort of weird promise. And, and so it, it's kind of interesting to see how even advertising has changed and, and, and family circles and education has changed. And, and things have drifted in our culture in a certain way. And if we're not careful, the, drift, the, the, the current of our culture can drift our faith along with it. And so my hope for you today is that you would see that, hey, I need to make sure that my faith is staying solid, it's staying balanced, it's staying grounded. The anchor of my faith is in Jesus and that I am staying solid to my convictions regardless of what the currents around me are, are doing and saying. And so that's my hope for you today. So today we're in a series called Jesus is Greater. And in this series, we are studying through the book of Hebrews and we're doing a chapter a week. And so we're not doing the entire chapter every week necessarily. Um, so because we only have a few minutes and there's a lot of verses in chapter two. So my goal is to go through four verses this morning in chapter two out of the rest of it. Your homework <laughs> your homework is to read the entire book, chapter 2, and, and study it on your, on your own. But I want to give you a starter on this thing. So in Hebrews chapter 2, if you're in your Bibles, Hebrews is in the New Testament. It's toward the back of the New Testament. I think it's between 8 and 10 books from the back of the, of the Bible, back toward the front, Hebrews. And so we're going to be looking at this, and we're looking how Jesus is greater than the drift. He's greater than the current. He's greater than the drift. And so if we look in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. In fact, this little first four-verse section is a warning in the book of Hebrews. It's one of five warnings in the book of Hebrews. So it, the book of Hebrews has this section about doctrine, about beliefs, and why we believe. But then it's immediately followed up with a warning of, from that section saying, hey, check this out, but there's a warning. Make sure you're careful about this. And it does this pattern over and over and over going through the book of Hebrews. This is the first section, the uh, first time there's a warning inside of the book of Hebrews. And so chapter 1, it says, Therefore, we must... Chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, we must pay close, much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received is just retribution. Verse 1, therefore. Every time you see a therefore, you got to ask yourself, what's that therefore? The therefores are important pivot moments in scripture. When you're reading a verse and you see the word therefore, um, I just encourage you to pause and and ask yourself the question, what comes before the word therefore and what comes after the word therefore are connected. and, 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 and And so you should pay attention there. There's something there almost every single time. And so last week we talked about how Jesus was better than angels, greater than angels. He was above other spiritual beings. In fact, Jesus is above every other religion. Jesus is above every other way of of belief. And and we went through all that last week. And if you missed it, you should check it out online on our website. We have video and audio there for you. But therefore, so because we now know that Jesus is greater than the angels, and because we now know that Jesus is greater than these things, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. There's a tone of urgency here. We must, must pay. We must pay closer attention. And the author is also including himself in this warning. The author isn't saying you must. He's saying we must. The things that we have heard. He's likely referring to the message that the apostles delivered. 
It's not the same phrasing normally associated with the gospel. It's, so it must be referring to what they've heard from the apostles. I believe that this is referring to the chapter before it, saying because of what we have heard the previous verse, lest we drift away from it. And in the previous chapter, in Hebrews chapter 1, it said the exact imprint, Jesus was the exact imprint of God's nature. He was not a repeater of God, but he was the source. So every time that God had a messenger that came down, whether it be an angel or a prophet or, or somebody else that God was using as a mouthpiece, they were a repeater of what God was saying through them to somebody else. Jesus was not repeating. Jesus was the source. That's why Jesus was greater than all of these other things. And because Jesus is the source, we have to pay closer attention to this lest we drift away. So if we let this slip through our fingers, there is nothing more that God can do to reach our hearts. Because Jesus, when you look in the Bible, you see from the very beginning to the very end, God is on a mission to reconcile his relationship with humanity. We sinned, humanity sinned, in the Garden of Eden there was a separation. From that point all the way, even today, moving to the end of the age, God has put together programs and systems and platforms and and means and methods to be able to reconcile his people back to him to be in right relationship. And so he sent messengers in different time periods and he sent different things to do in different ways. But Jesus is greater than all of those things. In fact, Jesus is the last chance. Jesus is greater than all those. And so God sent his own son down. And so now our connection with God has the best opportunity that it ever has had and ever will have because of Jesus. That's what he's saying now. So, so if we let this one slip through our fingers, if we let this opportunity, the, the message of Jesus slip through our fingers, there's nothing more that God can do to reach our hearts because he's built the ultimate bridge between you and I. So in verse two, it says For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. So the message declared by angels referring to the law that was given to Mount Sinai. Like it was talking about how when Moses got the law um, up on the mountain, he had the Ten Commandments so commonly referred to. And so that was so reliable. This is a common phrase to reference that moment, the whole message declared by, by angels. And the angels and prophets were repeaters of God's word, and they were his mouthpiece. Jesus was not the repeater. He was the source. If we trusted the repeaters implicitly, then we can most certainly trust the, the source. He's speaking to people who trusted the people before Jesus implicitly. Like, yes, that is the word of God. And if you can trust the repeater as if that's the word of God, you can most definitely trust the source who is Jesus, that he is the word of God. Just retribution. God's law delivered to Moses renders a penalty for those who transgress it. This is why what Jesus did here on earth matters. We earn the penalty. But Jesus paid for it on the cross. We are in the penalty, but Jesus paid for it on the cross. You can think about it this way. You're driving down the road. You're doing 25 over the speed limit. I'm sorry. You wouldn't do 25 over the speed limit. Let's get this straight. So you're going 35 over the speed limit. (laughs) You get pulled over by the police. He gives you a little bit of an earful, of course. It's kind of his job. Hey, you kind of deserved it. He gives you a ticket. The fine is pretty substantial at this point because it was a school zone. And... uh, So now you got this, you know, $800 speeding ticket. 
You mouth back to the officer before he finished, writes it, and he says, you are going 40, weren't you? Now you have a bigger ticket. You got a $1,000 speeding ticket. You're, you're, you're saying, I'm taking this to court, and I'm going to fight it. And so you go to court, and you, and you have the, the judge stands there. The evidence is weighed. You are 1,000% guilty of going 40 miles an hour over the speed limit in a school zone. And the penalty is so great, you're like, oh, man, I, I don't know if I can even pay this fine. You see, the realistic thing is this, is that your penalty, your, your penalty for the sin that you've committed against God isn't a $1,000 fine. It's like an infinity dollar fine. You can't pay it. It's just impossible to pay it. And so rather than the judge saying, when the judge says, okay, son, it's now pay, time to pay the ticket price that you paid, Jesus stands up, who is the officer, stands up and says, says no, no, I'll pay it for you. You see, you earned the penalty here on earth. Your sin earned the penalty here on earth, but Jesus paid the price. Can you imagine this? God is both the, reg- the rule maker and the fine payer. That's how good our God is. That's how good Jesus is. Is that, yes, he had the rules. Yes, we broke them. So now he has to hold us accountable to that. But then he steps up and says, you can't even pay this, so I'm going to pay it for you. So he sent Jesus down to earth and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. Verse 3, so how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. How shall we escape if neglected by such a great salvation? Have you guys been to one of those escape rooms yet? They're all over the place, and you got to have a key and a code, and, and you got to decipher something and, and figure out a weird thing. It's like this giant search to try to eventually open the door, but then when you open the door, you realize, oh, there's another door, and then you have to go through the whole thing all over and over and over again. You have a time, and you're trying to get out, trying to find the right combination of things to escape. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. The salvation of Jesus is the key to your escape. Verse 4, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So signs and wonders. See, the Jewish people would have been, which is the time this was written, they would have been very familiar with the signs and wonders performed by Moses in Egypt. There was the signs and wonders to help let my people go, Pharaoh, let my people go. Yes, no, yes, no. And, and the, the whole thing goes through and, and there's plagues and they're very familiar with all this stuff. And then Jesus shows up on the scene and drops a whole other level of signs and wonders on people. And eyes are opening and ears are opening and, and, and miraculous things are happening and, and people are walking on water and then there's water turning into wine and, and there's all this crazy stuff that's going on. The signs and wonders are everywhere. So people, in that time, they would have been very familiar with the signs and wonders of the Old Testament. But Jesus also performed many signs and wonders, and the word on the street at this time was still buzzing about the signs and wonders. And i got to tell you, I'm kind of stuck on verse 1, because it says, Therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Some, some translations We'll talk about neglecting the Word of God. You know, neglecting and rejecting are two different things. Neglecting and rejecting are two different things. Neglect and reject. You see, sometimes people will neglect their faith and start to drift 
away from the relationship that they had with God. In fact, if you're honest, I would say most of you in the room, maybe all of you in the room, have had seasons where you've maybe neglected your faith and started to drift a little bit. There's a difference between neglecting your faith and rejecting your faith. So I want to encourage you this, that if you've neglected your faith and you feel the drift that's in your heart and you know in your knower that I've been, I've been drifting for a little while, listen, you haven't rejected him. You've just neglected him. You can get right back in there. You can get right back into right relationship with God again. It's not, it's not, it's not a rejection, it's a neglection. And, and I want to encourage you that, that after today, you can walk out of here today and say, you know what? I'm going to stop neglecting this relationship that I may have been neglecting. You see, if a Christian drifts, there are consequences sometimes as God disciplines us. But you know what happens is the drift begins within and nobody knows. The drift begins within and nobody knows. You can show up to church, put the right smile on. God bless you, brother. The Lord is good this morning. You can do all the right things, but internally you can have the drift already starting and nobody knows. And nobody knows. We get busy with doing other things from time to time. In fact, Satan tried to get rid of you, tried to get you to reject it, and he wouldn't. But he couldn't make you bad, so he made you busy. He didn't make you bad, he made you busy. Come on, you got a couple of kids there in soccer and basketball, and, and then you've got the PTA, my God, the PTA, and then, you know, you've got to work, and then, you know, the big promotion maybe, so you're working a little overtime, and then and you still got to have time with your wife because, you know, you want to invest in that relationship, and you find yourself getting up earlier to go to work earlier so that you can get something done and still come home and hang out with the kids and the wife, and, and then all of a sudden life just gets busier and busier and busier, and then all of a sudden your kid's on two soccer teams, and they're on two basketball teams, and you're like, what have I done, you know, and, and and your life just gets busier and busier and busier. If, if Satan can just make you so busy, you'll neglect your relationship with God. Hey, that's a great starting point for him, isn't it? I just want to encourage you that if you are so busy that you're neglecting your relationship with God, today's the day that you can start that change. Think about it. You had friends in high school that just, what happened? You didn't like call them up and say, I'm not going to be your friend anymore and rejected them. Well, maybe you did. I don't know. One of those friends, but frenemies. But yeah, so like you had, like, you know, you had friends in high school that you were close with, and what happened? You got busy, and they got busy. And what happened where you used to see each other every day in the hallway at school, now you, you didn't see them after you graduated every day in the hallway at school. So you saw them, you know, in the beginning, it was like, once or twice, three times a month. You're like, oh, I see him every once in a while. And then it drifts and it drifts and you get busier and busier and your lives just, just drift away slowly. That's the exact same thing that the enemy wants to do with you and your relationship with God. He wants to just get you busy till you don't even notice the drift until you're so far away. People say, yeah, he's in international water. It'll sink eventually. <laughs> All right, we're gonna wrap this thing up. Because it's already 11.15, can you imagine? It feels like I just started, doesn't it? Keep going. going. All right, there we go. I got one person permission. We're going to be here all day. (laughs) Listen, we don't actively run away from our relationship with God. We slowly drift. That's just how it happens. So how do you know if you're drifting? I got some signs of drift. We're going to pop through these pretty quick. Signs of drift. If the band would come, we're going to close. Signs of drift. Number one is this loss of focus. 
loss of focus. These are signs of drift in your spiritual life, but I got to tell you, these are signs of drift in other relationships that you'll see and other things in life as well. Uh, so they adapt to kind of anything, but, um, but I think they work really well in your relationship with God. So number one, a signs of drift is your loss of focus. Your heart changes from the things of God to the things of this world. Your focus shifts. If you feel like you're spending more time focusing on other things without consideration of what God would have to say in those other things, you may be starting to drift. Second one is loss of priorities. You're more concerned about yourself than others, including God. Loss of priorities. Loss of passion is number three. Loss of passion. Do you remember when? Do you remember when you first gave your life to the Lord? Do you remember when you were in such a dark, dark time and the Lord rescued you out of that pit? Do you remember those days? I can remember mine. I remember, I mean, I grew up in the church as a, as a pastor's kid. And so I had it harder than all y'all because I, never mind, just kidding. So we, but when I graduated high school, um, there, was, there was this time where I was doing church because that's what my parents did. And there was a time growing up where I had to make a decision of like, is this really mine or not? And I wrestled with it for a few years. And so there was this time where emotionally and spiritually, I was in a very dark place. And I remember when I made the decision myself to say, yeah, this is the direction I'm going to go. I truly am going to put my faith in Christ. I'm not doing this because that I'm a Williams and that's what Williamses do. I'm doing this because me, Matt, have a relationship with God. And so during that season, I remember those days. And some of you remember those days too, when you first gave your life to Christ, the passion that you had. I couldn't get enough worship music. I turned the hippity hop music off and I just went straight into like worship music and it was pretty terrible in the 90s. And, and so I just listened to just terrible worship music, but it didn't matter to me. It didn't matter how cheesy the lyrics were or the music was because I was worshiping God. It wasn't about me. I just kept reading my Bible. Have you ever had those seasons where you're reading the word of God and the words are jumping off of the page? You get one verse into your sermon and it's like, we're just gonna stay here and talk about drifting, folks, because it's like it's just jumping off of the page at you. There was this time where you had passion in your relationship with God, where you said, I'm gonna pray. Yeah, I'll just sit down. I'm gonna say two minutes and pray this morning before I go to work. And, and there's a season where you ended up, I can't just pray for two minutes. I gotta go for three. I gotta go for four. I was waking up extra early to add extra time time to be able to pray more. Do you remember when the passion that you had in your relationship with God was on fire? For some of you, that might be where you're at today. I feel that passion. But if you say, yeah, I can remember when it was like that, you may, you may be drifting. Loss of discipline. Sins that used to bother you don't bother you anymore. Like, like I know this is wrong, but yeah, I'll pray about it later. <laughs> Like if you have that kind of mentality of like, you're getting callous, you're, you're, you're losing disciplines in your life. You find yourself making excuses for doing things that you know, maybe they're sinful or maybe you just know that it's not the way that God's called you to live. Loss of commitment. If you find yourself living the solitary life, stop going to church as often. You disengage from your small group. My hope for you is that you would grow both relationally and spiritually, that you would get connected and grow deeper in your faith with the Lord, but also that you would grow deeper in your connections and your relationships with others in the church. Because it's not me and Jesus, it's we and Jesus. So if, if your relationships and your connection points within the body of Christ are starting to, to fade, I would say maybe you're starting to drift. 
And the last one is this, is loss of emotions. Does the gospel seem old and tired? Do you no longer respond to the Lord's calling on your heart? Are you losing touch emotionally with what God is doing in your life? Because if you're losing that as well, then maybe you're starting to drift. Maybe you're starting to drift. So how do I get back? How do I, how do I get back in the seat? It's been a while since I've paddled this boat, since I've rowed this boat, and the stream has dragged me this way and that way, but, but how do I get back into getting my oars back into the water and start to paddle back upstream? How do I continue? How does this work? Here's what it is. You discover that your identity is in Christ. And when you discover your Christ-given identity, it starts to reignite the passions in your heart. When you go back to the drawing board and say, God, I, I, I've drifted here and I've drifted there, but God, I want my identity to be found in you. That starts to drive your passions towards going back into the purposes of God in your life. One day, Johnny was goofing off with a friend at the lake shore and they, they found a boat. It was a 16 foot long, like metal tub with no identifying marks on it. The thing had apparently come loose from its mooring somewhere around the lake and had come up against the eastern shore. So being about 14 years old, Johnny and his friend could not resist sitting in the boat while talking about all of the adventurous things that they were gonna do with it. Because of course at 14, when you find a boat, it's automatically yours. They talked and they dreamed. We're going to paint it. We're going to name it. We're going to put seats in it. We're going to get some oars. Oh, yeah, there's no oars. Which became acutely, which, which came acutely to their attention when they looked up and realized that they have drifted about 30 to 40 yards from shore. Through neglect and inattention, it's very easy to drift away from spiritual truth. My hope is that you would keep your faith fresh. Don't neglect it. Stay focused and passionate for all that Christ has done for you. If you've drifted and you've lost it, if you're starting to recognize today, I'm drifting, and go back to the one who you once fell in love with, Jesus Christ, and say, I need to be back here again. And he is faithful to come and meet you where you're at, to help you reignite those passions so that you can stay focused, so that you don't drift and get tossed around here and there by the world that we live in. Will you stand with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much. I thank you so much for what you did on the cross. God, I I just, help me, help us, help we. We need to stay focused on you. Help us to be able to, to, to not drift, to not get tossed around. God, help us to stay focused. Help us to maintain our passions. God, you are a good God and we know it. And so God, I, I ask that you would work with us pull us back from the drift, pull us back in to your love and to your grace and by your mercy, back into relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning, we have prayer teams that'll be on either side of the stage. They came here to pray for you for any reason whatsoever. If you've never made a decision to follow Christ, maybe you're investigating your faith, or maybe you've drifted so far away, you don't even know where to start to get back, because that happens. These guys want to pray with you too. If you want to make a decision to follow Christ, please come and receive prayer. But together, church, let's sing one last song before we leave this morning.